This is Scripture Read Badly. A podcast where two grown-up pastor's kids discuss the stories of the Bible in chronological order. Attempting to avoid heresy and generally having a good time. I'm Jeremy. And I'm Ryan. Sit back and rejoice. Today's verse comes from 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 19. And his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Uh, This is um, the interesting uh, eccentricities of mothers who sometimes don't know how fast boys grow. So the first year they would have brought a robe and it would have fit and then the second year maybe it would have fit and then the third she just kept bringing a little robe and then he had his growth spurt and she'd be like oh man this isn't gonna fit you i imagine that it's, it's something like something like ron's mother makes harry and ron in the first harry potter movie when she knits them sweaters with a big oh, r or a big h on them oh uh, yeah it's, and it's just little every time <laughs> worst anyway this is scripture at badly i'm jeremy and with me is the greatest co-host ever ryan yes i'm here and today we are talking about first samuel chapters two to three uh, which focuses primarily on eli and the establishment of samuel as a successor to eli uh, as the priest of shiloh So, if you don't remember last time, which you should because it's only been a few days, uh, Hannah was barren, and so she prayed to God, and God granted her a son that she dedicated to uh, the tutelage of Eli at the temple. So, essentially, she said, if you give me a son, I'll give him back to the service of God. And so that's what happened, uh, and... As Jeremy so brilliantly read out in that opening verse, uh, Hannah and her husband would go there each year for the sacrifice, um, a yearly sacrifice. And when she went, she would take a little robe. Do you think it was a like? Do you think it was like a dressing gown? I think so. Ah, and it, but it was you can little. Never have too many. So the sleeves yep. only came halfway up his forearms. Yep. And he would wear it around anyway, just because he was proud of his mum's craftsmanship. Yeah. And it would barely and cover Eli's his bum. Sons. Yep, exactly. <laughs> and it was a little scandalous, there, but no one would talk about it. I imagine he wore other things with it. I didn't look! <laughs> or m- uh, maybe he was wearing a little robe when God called him while he was sleeping. He probably was. Yeah, alright. Well, we'll get to that. So, to begin with, we're going to talk about Eli and his sons. Uh, now, the ESV, which, Jeremy, I believe you and I are both reading from, titles this yep. section starting at verse 12 in chapter 2 with Eli's worthless sons, which is... N- and that's in the opening sentence. That's right, yeah. <laughs> now, the sons of Eli were worthless men. Uh, I don't imagine that's a desirable label for your offspring? Definitely not. I mean, you it's and not I... encouraging. Neither you or I have children, but I imagine that if, if we did, we wouldn't necessarily want our kids to be called worthless. Um, nope. It's a, it's a bit harsh. So... It's a bit harsh. Yeah. So what's really interesting that I find here in this opening verse, Jeremy, is that it says that Eli's sons didn't know the Lord. 
Um, now, uh. starting in chapter one, it talks about. Uh, I think it's in verse three. It says that uh, Eli was the priest at Shiloh, and he had two sons, Hophni and Phineas, and they were priests of the Lord. So my question is. They were priests, but they didn't know God. Does that mean that they just followed an empty religion? Or do you think that means they didn't even practice the priestly duties? They were just kind of around and didn't really take it seriously? Possibly both. Okay. Uh, because worthless probably doesn't speak to the inherent value because everyone is valuable and God loves everyone. Right. It probably speaks to their worth, their economic worth as men hmm. because they were the main um, thingo-bringer, yep. money-bringer, breadwinner. That's the word I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. And so you wonder if, it was, if he was a worthless man and he was a baker, he mustn't be a very good baker. Or if he hmm. was a worthless man and he was a bus driver, he probably runs into things he's not supposed to run into. Right. And so, and we see later these guys aren't very good at the priestly duties. And so the worthlessness, I think, points to that. Their occupation. And not knowing the Lord, uh, I have lived in a country that had a state church and you would hear of these state church pastors at the churches there, uh, studied theology technically, but were complete atheists and didn't really believe in God, but they went through the motions because that was their job. Mm, and so okay. I wonder if this is a similar, that they don't have faith, they don't really believe in the rituals or anything. It's just an occupation their dad's and they're pretty bad at it. Yeah, yeah like almost like a, a carpenter's son who doesn't really like wood, but he's there because he has the skills. Right. These guys have the skills, except they also don't because they're worthless. <laughs> And they're there because their dad's there. Okay, so in a sense, it's kind of like the movie How to Train Your Dragon, where the main character, Hiccup, his dad is this big, burly Viking that loves to kill dragons. Mm-hmm. But Hiccup himself is this weedy little kid who can barely lift a weapon and has no desire to kill dragons whatsoever. So in that sense, early on in that movie, he's labeled a worthless viking. So it's that type yep. of thing. Boom. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Great. So the uh the added bit of information here too is that they didn't know the Lord. So that means I guess that in itself would be enough to to make them worthless priests. Um Yep. Okay. So the custom of the priests uh, with the people was that when any man offered a sacrifice, the priest servant would come while the meat was boiling. I imagine, I'm imagining uh, a, a lamb shank just stuffed in a oh, pot delicious. of boiling water, just having the meat pull off the bone. Um, yep. That's what I'm imagining. Uh, and while the I'm meat- also imagining that now. <laughs> while the meat was boiling... They would take a three-pronged fork, which my family would label a threek. uh, A threek! In their hand, and they would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. So it's it's a very inclusive (laughs) statement here. Pan, kettle, cauldron, pot. Uh, All right. Um, Okay. And all the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself... And this is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. 
moreover before the fat was burned so this is basically describing a practice that was outlined in Leviticus but yep. uh, in a I think a far more concise and less uh, clinical way so it's instead of saying the priest should take for themselves this amount of meat when it is offered in the sacrifice blah 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 it's saying this is how that would exactly play out they'd yep. put the meat in a pot or a cauldron or a kettle or a pan and while it was boiling they'd take a threek and they'd stab the meat and whatever they took out whatever had come off the bone as it were they they would take for themselves and before the fat was burnt uh and the servant would say to the man sacrificing give the meat to the priest to roast for he will not accept boiled meat from you but only raw okay so this is saying okay so before the this is a little bit confusing can you help me decipher this yeah it is uh Uh, moreover is the linking word yes so plus before the fat was burned the priest servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing give meat for the priest to roast for he will not accept boiled meat from you but only raw so he had plans for how he would cook the meat okay so and I wonder if they're reporting this as this is what happened and it wasn't good or bad yep or this is what was commanded and we're going to contrast this at the end of the passage Mm. and if the man said to him let him burn the fat first and then take as much as you wish he would say no you must give it now and if not I'll take it by force this looks pretty negative Yes. Yeah, yeah, thus the sin of the young man was very great in the sight of the Lord. So instead of um, being provided for naturally like God instituted, mm. they're trying to stipulate how they get the meat because they want to sear it or they want to um, put bacon on it or they want to put, well, probably not bacon, but uh, basil. And God's like, no, I provide for you. You trust in me. You don't take it. Yeah. And it's labelled sin. Like, thus the sin of the young man was very great, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Oh, okay, right. Contempt. They weren't happy with the the general custom, which was just to take it out while it was boiling. But instead, yeah. they wanted the, the people to set some aside before it was boiled because they didn't like boiled meat. Yeah. Okay. Which is crazy because boiled meat rules. <laughs> it's, uh, it's pretty good. Um, All right, so then uh, it says that Samuel was ministering before the Lord. He was a boy clothed with a linen ephod and apparently a little robe. (laughs) Uh, And Levi would bless Elkanah, which was Samuel's dad, and Hannah, his wife, and say, May the Lord give you children um, for the petition she asked of the Lord. So they would return to their home. So this is a... It's a contrast outlined here. It's saying that Eli's sons were very bad. They were not only bad priests, but they didn't know God and they treated what he commanded with contempt. Samuel, on the other hand, was a good little boy in a good little robe. and uh, With a good little mum. Yeah, and a good little little linen ephod. Um, yep. So it says, And the Lord visited Hannah, she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. So this may not be the last that we hear of Hannah, but I think it is for now. Um, So it turns out that because of 
Hannah offering the her son to God after so long of not being able to bear children, God blesses her with five kids, as well as Samuel. Yeah, which is so good that he didn't just replace Samuel. He's like, I'm going to give you lots of them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that that's probably the healthiest thing to have happen in this situation. Because otherwise, yep. if it was just one more son, then maybe there might be rivalry or... Uh, some kind of True. tension between the two kids when they saw each other. Um, maybe Samuel might be competitive about the inheritance that he thinks he should get from Elkanah, but then his brother would say, no, it's mine, I'm actually in the family. Uh, yeah. One way or the other, God worked it out. So it's it's all good. Now, it says that Eli was old. He was very old. How old do you think he <laughs> was? Twenty-five. Yeah, that's pretty old. That's how old. His I skin am. was terrible, though. Ugh. He loved the sun. Are you no, describing probably me? Seventies. <laughs> hmm. Your skin's not terrible yet. <laughs> not yet. You've only been up there for a few years. Actually, I don't even love the sun. So there we go. All right. Oh, I dislike it. Yeah. Yeah, me too. You picked a good country to hide no, out in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I miss it sometimes. Yeah. When we went to Edinburgh, I was like, oh, the sun. <laughs> So hopefully he'll come back at some stage. Mm. But he's he's up there. Like, his sons are probably adult age, so yeah. he could be 50s to 60s. Sure. Uh, right. Um, or maybe his sons were in their 50s. If he if it's said that he's very oh, old, true. Uh, we know that some people still live to their 70s and 80s at this time, although it does look like it has decreased since the days of Moses. Um, yep. Let's say he's 75. Pretty pretty solid age. Uh, That's a solid age. So his sons, we could say comfortably, would be about forty five or fifty. Um, yep. Which is which is a lot older than I uh, initially thought. Um, now this is just going off our own speculation, but I, I imagine it's it's probably likely uh, that that is the the case. So he was heaps old. And he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Wow. Okay, so they they were doing more than just requesting pan-fried lamb instead of boiled. Uh, It looks like they were requesting some other things as well. Yep. Uh, Pan-fried or otherwise. And so Eli confronts his sons and says, what are you doing? I hear all this evil stuff that you're doing. Uh, I hear about it from all the people. So apparently it's <laughs> no secret that these these guys are uh, doing whatever they want with whomever they want. Yep. So then he says, no, it is no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading, abo- spreading abroad. So this is in contrast, I think, to the days of Moses and Joshua when it the reputation of what Yahweh did for the people spread ahead of them and struck fear in the hearts of the inhabitants of the land and so forth. So now Eli's saying the opposite thing is happening. We are being mocked by all these people because they hear the the irreverence of the priests is great in our country. So pretty, pretty bad. So then he says, if someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they didn't listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. 
What do you make of that statement? Uh, this makes me think about that whole there's the worst sin and it's to blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. Mm. And this is bigger for them because they're the they are already the mediators between God and people as well. Yeah. Like they're acting on behalf of God as priests. Mm-hmm. And so he's saying like if someone sins against someone else, that's fixable. Yeah. Like that's easier to fix. But if someone sins against the Lord, as in if someone represents God to the people incorrectly or even besmirches God's name to the people, mm. especially as a priest like mm. who's going to intercede between that because they're representing God <laughs> like yeah unless God comes out of the clouds and says this guy sucks mm. but still the way God would do that is to take their life almost or to banish them right they would just to make sure that everyone knows that that's not what God's all about yes yes he'd make some kind of public statement in the sight of everyone so that they would correct their ways. Um, and then the next sentence seems to be like after he told them that, they realized that they deserved death because they misrepresented God. Mm-hmm. So they just ignore it. They're just like, nah, I can't hear you. La, 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 la. Yeah. So they were convicted. So they did understand their sin. And yet they continued. Hmm. And they continued misrepresenting God. And that's why in the next part, God rejects that whole household. Yeah. Which sucks if Eli was faithful that whole time. Yeah, but we see that with David and and other people as well throughout the Bible. Yeah, yeah, true. Uh, Their their descendants um, go completely against what they stood for, uh, even their sons. Um, So then verse 26 is a verse that when I read it, I thought... This sounds very familiar. Now, it's in direct contrast again to Eli's sons, who are very bad people. It says, The boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. Jeremy, does that sound familiar to you? Uh, They said it already? Uh, No, but that type of statement is used in Luke chapter 2 to describe Jesus. Oh, hello, Jeebus. So it says, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So essentially the same thing. Um, Yep. And that's in Luke 2.52. So that's that's right at the end when you're kind of, you're finishing a passage and you say, that's that's where I'm going to put the bookmark and I'm going to sleep. It's it's that type of thing. See you next time, kids. That's just a yep. little thing to wrap it all up. Yeah. Uh, so when I read that, I thought that something like that is said about Jesus, and it's almost word for word. So that's yep. that's something. Um, I guess that helps us to understand that Samuel, growing up in the house of Eli in the in the temple, sorry, in the yep. uh, the the place, not the temple, it wasn't built in the yet. place. In the place, he was. He grew in a similar kind of way to Jesus, so he's a yep. he's a decent dude. We can at least take that uh, solid bloke, solid bloke up to a certain point. Okay, then it says that a man of God came to Eli. Uh, this may be one of those unnamed men of God uh, that we'll see throughout First Kings and Second Kings. I think that pop in and out that are kind of 
people that God uses for one particular instance and their name and their legacy isn't important. It's God working through them. That's the main focus but of it. It's funny that this is similar to the prophet Nathan with David. Mm. But what else did David? What else did Nathan do? Like, why do they name some of them, but some of them they're just like this mysterious guy? Mm, perhaps it's because Samuel is the focus of this story, not Eli. So a oh, okay, uh, a supporting character interacting with Eli. Uh, if you're watching it uh, on a on a movie or a TV show. It's probably just going to be an unnamed person that says something yeah. to to the character, and then the one that's is actually a named character is is the one that's important. Their reaction, and then that person just True. kind of disappears, and you don't see them again. And then you see them in the credits, and it says unnamed man or man with afro or whatever it is in the credits. <laughs> and then, man of God, it, number one. Exactly. <laughs> that's how I think. So it, I think it's a it's a literary uh, device that's implemented here to emphasize certain people and their reactions and to yep. downplay the the identity but not necessarily the significance of a, of a different person. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very much so. Okay, cool. So then the man of God says, Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in... Fathers when they were in Egypt? subject to the house of pharaoh did i choose them so it's god saying rhetorical questions uh which are very uh very common i think when it comes to the prophetic books um yeah so it's god saying didn't i do this didn't i do that uh okay then he says didn't i instruct you to go up to the altar to burn incest incense <laughs> was a little close to whoa, whoa, else. whoa, whoa. Uh, to wear an ephod before me I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire blah 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 now this is important stuff but we're just going to skip over it a little bit so yep. then it says therefore the lord the god of israel declares I promise that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever but now the lord declares far be it from me for those who honor me I will honor and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed so he's Ooh. saying, uh, the days are coming when I will cut off your house. Then in distress, you will look with envious eye on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel. And there shall not be an old man in your house forever. Wow. So pretty, wow. pretty heavy prophecy coming from this man of God, who is essentially yep. saying, your sons have screwed it all up. Your yep. line is going to be cut off from being priests because this is what I have to work with and it's it's just not gonna yeah. it's not gonna it's not gonna vibe you know so it's not gonna vibe yeah okay so then it says uh, and this that shall come upon your two sons Hophni and Phineas shall be the sign to you both of them shall die on the same day wow that'd be a, a bit of a hit uh, and yep. I'll raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I'll build him a sure house and he shall go in and out before me anointed forever. And everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread and shall say, please put me in one of the priest's places that I may eat a morsel of bread. 
So he's saying Samuel is going to replace your genetic line as priest before me. That's crazy. Yeah. But makes sense. Well, actually, okay. So it's obviously implied that it's going to be Samuel. The, the name of the next section yeah. is the Lord calls Samuel. But <laughs> God doesn't put a name on it in the prophecy because Eli nope. is familiar with Samuel. So I imagine that uh, when he heard the prophecy, he probably thought it makes sense that Samuel, who I'm raising, will be the one to take over. That's fine. He's like a son to me or a great grandson or whatever. Yep. But I want to put the question to you, Jeremy, that uh, what if Samuel said no? Would God have still followed through with his promise and raised up somebody else other than Samuel? Yeah. Okay. Highly likely. Right. So it could have just been somebody that came in off the street and said, God told me to be yep. a priest. I said, yes, let's go. Or maybe he had like six in the bank. Mm. Just in case. Yeah, don't we all? All around the town. Six priests yes, in definitely. the bank. Yep. Six priests in the bank. That sounds like a joke. Six uh, priests walk into a bank. There's got to be. And I don't know. All right, listeners, if you can come up with a joke based on six priests walking into a bank, then let us know. We want to hear it. Uh, there won't be a prize, but we'll uh, we'll say thank you. That'd be good. Probably have a bit we'll of a We'll tip chuckle. our hats. We will. We'll tip our hats, but not our waiters. Definitely we don't not. Tip they get paid enough. People in Australia. Uh, all right. So then chapter three, Jeremy, can you take us away into this familiar story? It's interesting. This is also contrasted to the start of what we were talking about. Mm. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. And this is... Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. Mm. And so the contrast being the guys who were supposed to be representing God were doing the opposite. And this kid, in the midst of a time that doesn't have vision, doesn't have miracle sort of stuff, Mm. gets a miraculous vision. Uh, so strangely that Eli at first is like, hang on, what? Go back to sleep. You're crazy. Yeah. And it takes him a while to click. Right. Well, if you remember, the judges happened before this, and the last judge was Samson, and things didn't end too well with that. It seems that God was maybe working through Samson, didn't necessarily appear to him directly. Um, True. And then we have a few judges before that, that did have visions from God saying, go defeat these people and then lead us into peace. But yep. uh, I feel like this is a, it's carried over from the, the last couple of judges that were kind of God's instruments without being directly knowledgeable of, of God's yep. instruction maybe. So that makes sense. And we also yep. have to remember but- that Samuel's wearing a little robe. Yep. A tiny robe. With a big S emblazoned on it. With a huge S and a cape. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a robe with a cape. Maybe it was just, That'd be sick. Maybe it was just a Superman cape. We had some of those in dress-ups when we were kids. True. Oh, cape Why wouldn't you S. wear them when you're ministering to the Lord? Exactly. At first, Eli's like, oh, that's weird. Why is your coat so small and your cape so big? <laughs> He's like, look, man, it's my mom. 
Blessed by the Lord, you know. Maybe that's how it started out with Superman. Maybe his his True. little robe eventually became a pair of underpants. Yep. He grew, and then he grew so much that it, that was the only part that fit. Or that was the only way he could wear them. I don't know. And then the old, the years before coat is just the cape. Yeah. And the next time his mum comes and she's like, what, is this what you want to wear now? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> yep. Smooth. Superman. All right. Uh, so Eli... So verse two. At Yeah. Sorry. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. Cataracts. And so that would... Guarantee it was, it was probably cataracts. Oh, definitely. I feel like, and that I feel like the wording you... itself, saying that his eyesight grew yep. dim. My mum just had cataract surgery. My wife has had cataract surgery. And so I know that the the eye beginning to cloud over is often early signs of either cataracts or glaucoma. So it was probably yep. either uh, cataracts, which are extremely common in elderly people. Um, they often get both eyes operated on because eyesight eventually grows dim and then you need artificial lenses put in your eyes so he probably had cataracts that's that's all i'm saying yep. i'm just excited about that i mean not excited that he had cataracts but i'm excited to it's <laughs> like yeah boy I, high five the cataracts <laughs> i can diagnose eli with cataracts based on my very minuscule amount of medical knowledge exciting nice Mm-hmm. But it does it does change how you see the world or not? Like, not see the world, but perceive. Uh, like, would he still be pretty active in the service? Uh, that, that depends. Or not so much? It depends. My mum couldn't drive at night. Um, that, was, okay. that was very dangerous. Um, she also would not feel very confident driving during the daytime. So I think it okay. was more of a... Uh, you could do some things you could definitely not read I imagine Eli was probably going off his uh, memorised scripture at that point yeah um, he might have so he's probably relying on Samuel more than he had oh absolutely I imagine that Samuel okay. is probably ministering on Eli's behalf more than it yep. mentions here and so there was probably many times where Samuel would be like having to run to Eli to help him do something. So this mm. isn't a strange occurrence that he would wake up in the night like, Samuel, come help. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so then we see that. So um, Samuel uh, wakes up. Yep. And the Lord calls him mm-hmm. and he runs. Here I am to Eli. And Eli is like, I didn't call you. Lie down again. Mm. And so he went and lay down and the Lord called him again Samuel Samuel and he rose and he once again was like you called me I'm here and he's like no I didn't but he thinks or he perceives that the Lord was calling so he says go lie down and if he calls you again just say speak Lord for your servant hears like some magic words and so Samuel does that and then the Lord calls again Samuel Samuel and Samuel says, speak for your servant hears. And then the Lord starts speaking, which is like a mirror of, not of mirror, but it's related to his prophecy to Eli 
I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. Yep. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. So that is so complete that anyone who is left in his house shall come to implore um, who ends up to being Samuel Mm -hmm. for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread. Yep. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God. So this isn't... uh, a sin of ignorance. This isn't a sin of accident. This is a sin on purpose, and God is punishing the whole line for it. Mm. And he did not restrain them. Because he knew. He was hearing all about it, and he didn't restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Yeah. Which is pretty hardcore, because God loves atoning and thing making forgiveness happen anyway mm-hmm. um uh, now i have to apologize because so, i've we've just turned on the air con uh which is okay which is directly above me uh so there is huh. there is now a hum uh in the in the recording oh. and i apologize for that but uh it was getting unbearably hot uh in in <laughs> our house and my wife just came home so didn't want to have to subject her to being way too warm just because of uh, recording so that, yeah, that's yeah. what's just happened that's fine uh, sorry you were saying and um, here we are still minus two so I will not be turning on the air conditioner <laughs> oh, so man. then uh, Samuel lay until morning then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli so this is a guy that he ministers to and with and has been mentored with and God confirms the future of his line to be destroyed mm. or to be passed on. And But in that whole thing, does he say that he's going to use Samuel? No. Uh, he so he just says that, that part, he's going to fulfill everything he said to Eli, that he was going to cut off his line. Yeah. So he doesn't say, hey, Samuel, you're now my big guy. Right. That's weird. And then Eli must have seen his awkwardness and says, don't hide what God said to you, because he knew that God was talking to Mm. him. And may God do so to you and more if you hide the things from me. Which is hardcore, because that's his whole line being cut off. It's intense, yeah. Yeah. And so then... He doesn't, and Samuel tells him everything. Mm-hmm. And once again, Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord, and the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord reveals himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. So there is the part that Samuel is called. Mm. And everyone knows about it. So you wonder who told who so that everyone gets to know. Or was Eli, like, officially like, hey, everyone, I'm stepping down because the Lord is making me, and now Samuel's the big guy. And then if it's his whole line, who, what line were all the assistants from to, like, make everything happen? Or did Samuel then have to train a whole bunch of new priests? That's crazy, though. Yeah, okay, so this, I believe, is what has happened. 
So Samuel has had the vision where God has either confirmed to him what the man of God said to Eli or has told Samuel what the man of God said to Eli, uh, yep. whether or not Samuel was present. Um, Samuel has passed that on to Eli. Eli said, that's fair enough. I get that. Now, because God has confirmed that, I'm going to now give more responsibility to you because I know that God has passed on both of my sons. True. So then he, Eli probably helped establish Samuel as the, yep. the next priest and, consequently, the first prophet in this, uh, this major run of prophets that continues throughout the rest of the Old Testament and ends with John the Baptist. So we've had... Yeah, Johnny. We've had some people that have received prophetic visions and things like Jacob and Abraham and Moses and stuff throughout the, throughout the years. But here we have Samuel being listed as the, uh, the first prophet and I guess also the last judge. So he's closing yep. off that chapter um, metaphorically and opening up a new one, which is the... Uh, not necessarily frequent, but common vision of God and word of God yep. directly to the people, which is something that we ha- we didn't see in the latter half of Judges. So this is it's a new era. Um, now I can confirm by peeking ahead that uh, Eli's sons die in the next chapter. So it looks like he's established Ooh. and well known as a prophet well before Eli's sons die. Okay. Uh, Because the next chapter starts with And the word of Samuel came to all Israel I imagine he wouldn't have been a teenager at that point He'd probably be established So Eli's sons might be in their late 50s or 60s By the time they really kick the bucket Or kick the ark As it were Um, But that is It's not an expression And it's a it's a bit of a hint of what is to come. So that's really exciting. Samuel is now established, not only as the little boy that wears the little robe, but now as the big boy that wears the little robe still, but also the full-sized ephod, because he's the priest. Full-sized! He's now... Oh, you got to have a full-sized ephod. No longer fun-size, now he's king-size. No, now he's king-size. Yep. Or priest size. Yeah, <laughs> priest size. Exactly, because that that stands in for kings for now. Yep. Um, but we will in not for long. We will in the next episode uh, complete the narrative that follows Eli, the priest of Shiloh, uh, and also continue looking at how what will become of his sons. Uh, and consequently, what will happen with the Ark of the Covenant? So we did tease this at the beginning yep. of the last episode, that something happens with the Ark of the Covenant, gets stolen by the Philistines, and so then we get to follow that journey of recovering that and seeing what happens as a result. So that's where we're at Yay-oh. at the end of Chapter 3 of First Samuel. I really enjoy this book so far. The, these two two episodes we've done, it's it's exciting, and I'm looking forward to uh, incorporating some psalms as well as some minor and major prophets as they pop up throughout the remainder of this book and the next. So heaps keen, yep. love it. Heaps keen. Alrighty. Uh, so with that said, how about Jeremy? I I give some advice to the listeners, and you tee up a blessing. 
Okay. Uh, and before that happens, I just want to say that my name is Ryan. My name's Jeremy, or J-E-Z-B-R, on all social medias. Ooh. And uh, you can find Scripture Road Badly on all the social medias as Ooh, well. Yeah. It, it's all in the description of this episode, uh, whether you're looking at it on WordPress or in the iTunes or Stitcher app. You can just scroll up and you see all the information. I have everything listed there and linked, so you can... Hit us up if you want. If you have a good punchline for the joke that begins, six priests oh, yeah. walk into a bank. Uh, looking forward to hearing hearing from you guys about that. Um, <laughs> I believe the main piece of advice that I want to leave everybody with uh, from these chapters is that when you are boiling lamb, when you have lamb off the bone and you have it in a big pot of water, Add some spices because there is nothing sadder. Well, I guess if you were a priest, then you probably wouldn't add the spices because it's a different kind of thing. You're not trusting God with the flavor and whatnot. But if it's up to you when you're making lamb off the bone, have it in a pot, maybe making a lamb stew, you add some basil, you add some garlic, you add some parsley at the very least, and then you just let it cook its its goodness. Cook its goodness. That's an expression. You gotta cook its goodness. <laughs> Maybe chuck in some potatoes and some carrots. Maybe some onion as well. And just make yourself a delicious stew. And think, I did this better than Eli's sons. Because I, Much I'm i a good priest. And I know the Lord. So I can have some delicious lamb stew. That's my advice. And may all of your socks be matched or unmatched. Warm or sweat reducing. Forever. Antimicrobial. This has been script. Anti. That's the word. <laughs> Antimicrobial. <laughs> this has been scripture read badly. I do.